My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Hello and welcome to the Post Credit Pod. I am Brandon Katz, Senior Entertainment Reporter for Observer. I am here as always with Eric Italiano, Senior Entertainment Editor at Bro Bible. Today we are recording a more forward-thinking episode since we're talking both immediately upcoming and future blockbusters. Specifically, we're starting with the Batman. We're moving into what's going on with the Mad Max franchise, hopping around to some new mutants, which arrives Friday. Then we're going to finish up with... Allegedly. Spider-Man. Allegedly arrives right. Friday. You can never know with this just mess of a movie in terms of behind-the-scenes drama. We're going to finish up with Tenet, which is opening in the U.S. over Labor Day weekend. Feel free to hop around to whichever movie you're most excited for. we got time codes in the description. But to start off, Already in the Batman trailer, there are possible hints that the Court of Owls may play a role in Matt Reeves' Batman trilogy. Now, that is super exciting for comic fans and probably sounds super stupid to people who aren't familiar with who those people are. So, Eric, just to start, would you like to give some background to fans who may not be quite as nerdy as us? I uh, said to you in a text that uh, I would like to talk about not so much the Batman film, but this part of it. Uh, the Court of Owls is a pretty new ad to Batman's rogues gallery. They were first published in 2011. Um, the reason that I wanted to talk about them is because, and not to get too into like politics, but they are very similar to what a certain sect of QAnon people believe. They're sort of like a behind-the-scenes cabal of sort of the wealthiest people in Gotham who have controlled, you know, the city and its people for hundreds and hundreds of of years. Uh, And I think that that's a fascinating sort of villain to instill in this, uh, what we're seeing is going to be a very grounded take, you know, almost grounded to a fault. I mean, it looks like it's going to be borderline depressing, I, you know, listen. Who doesn't like their Batman with a side of Prozac? Right. <laughs> so, I just think that sort of taking that route of of a of a threat that could exist in our world uh, is is just super cool. Now, the reason that they're sort of in the news is because a f- uh, a few parts of the trailer vaguely hint to them. Now, I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think it's so much what was in the trailer, but more of what Zach, I mean, not, not Zach, uh, Snyder. Whoa, whoa, hey there, you're about to piss off one whole segment of fans and make another really happy. What, uh, what Matt Reeves said prior to his, uh, prior, you know, during his DC fandom, and I put it out on a tweet uh, at Postcred Pod. He said that Batman's superpower is the ability to endure. And that is something, uh, have you read Court? Brandon? I haven't read Corp, but I've seen a lot of the uh, the animated film that did feature them prominently. So and I, I've obviously read background on what occurs in that comic. That's a very big theme of that, sort of Batman at his wit's end, both mentally, because uh, he can't figure it out for a, a, a while, and physically, because they beat the shit out of him, you know, <laughs> within an inch of his life. 
Reeves also said that the murders that take place during this film, and this is not a direct quote, but close to what he said. He said that the murders that take place in this film are going to expose corruption in Gotham that's taken place for hundreds of years. That's going to teach Bruce Wayne more about his family and their place in Gotham and what, and you know, uh, puts on tin, tinfoil hat, why they were killed. Uh, so more so than the trailer itself, what Reeves said to me is almost a promise that the court is, is going to come. I'm really glad you brought up specifically how these murders are going to expose corruption in Gotham because every iteration of the big screen Batman, we've seen that the police force is corrupt. And I think that's something that should be continued in the Batman, especially with, you know, Black Lives Matters and the, the aftermath of George Floyd. But what I want to see and what I'm excited and what I'm hoping to see from the Batman is taking that corruption to the next logical progression. What that would be is an Illuminati type of society pulling strings from the shadows as the wealthiest 1% of Gotham City. And I think that underscores and highlights this divide in social classes in a way that's actually more advanced than what The Dark Knight Rises did, which I actually very much liked in that movie. So that is one other reason why I'm really hoping The Court of Owls is included because it strikes at the heart of relevant thematics and kind of expands Gotham's dark history in a very interesting, engaging way that we haven't seen on screen. It, it, it also provides Batman with a grounded yet somewhat, not cosmic threat, but... Mystical, slightly? Mythic threat yeah. even. You know, they're not... They're they not... The mythic with actually just being like a systematic... Uh, you know, intolerant power. So it's like, you know, they're a crime group, but they're not a bunch of mob guys in suits. There's a element of the fantastical to it that makes it more than just your classic, you know, grounded, gritty, grounded Batman story. And then, so I just want to touch on some of the hints in the Yeah, what should fans look for? Because they should go back and rewatch the trailer with this knowledge in mind. So... Riddler sends Batman a card, and on the front of the card is a owl. Uh, I didn't text Jesus. Uh, uh, right, right, right. So then, so so that's one. Then there's been talk of how his sort of forearm. Uh, I don't even know what you would call them. His like forearm shields look like that of Talon. Who? Talon, oh, we're gonna get to Talon. So. Talon is sort of like the the court's own Batman. Uh, he's sort of like an inverse. Uh, but he also has these sort of like arrow-like forearm guards. And then Talon to me is like the death stroke of the Court of Owls. Perfect, perfect. extremely intelligent, but like a physical match and perhaps occasionally even superior to Batman. And I just love his character. Very cool, sympathetic backstory. Fans are going to like it. So, and then the last one that I think is the most key is what is pretty much the post-credit scene of the trailer where Bruce Wayne is, like, playing a tape and and uh, they're like, you're part of this too. Uh, and he says, how? And then they say, you'll see. You're part of this too. How am I part of this? You'll see. 
for someone to be as powerful enough to be able to control what Bruce Wayne does and make him a part of their plan, there are not a lot of characters in Gotham lore with that sort of power. Uh, I like differentiated Bruce Wayne from Batman because that is what the Court of Owls would do. They would approach it in a way that's kind of in the daylight because they have the power to do that. Well, I, I just say Bruce Wayne because his mask is off. So when his mask is off to me, he's Bruce Wayne. When his mask is on, he's... But, um, that's fair. But, but still, the whole, you know, rumor is that they know who he is because they kill, killed his parents and stuff. Like, that's where some fans think it might go. Um, you want to stress again that none of this is confirmed, of course. No, no. It's in the trailer and eagle-eyed fans, eagle owl, talent, nice. Not bad, close enough. That's what they're picking up on. And this is what we should be doing. We should be overanalyzing and pouring over every frame because it's fun, it's great, and it provides potential hints to what this larger new universe might hold. So I'd have to say to put a pin on my points here, and then I'll cede the floor to you, is that if I had to put it on a scale of 10, so if I think that the court will play a role – maybe not be revealed until the third act or so, but will they play a role in the general overarching plot of this uh, franchise? I'd put it at a nine. I think everything, everything we've seen, but then as I said, specifically what Matt Reeves said, and if you haven't seen it, just, you know, find his uh, DC fandom panel. And, you know, he talks about his knowledge and depth of uh, Batman and it's incredible, but the hints that he gives more or less screams, Court of Owls are coming. You're pushing your chips in the center with that. Yeah. that well, I'm, ra- I'm, I'm uh, rarely wrong. I mean, you know that I, you know, I, I don't shoot my shot much, but when I do, I'm pretty sure of it. And when it comes to Batman, you know, I like to think that I know what I'm saying. So in, so in this case, like if I was a betting man, I would hammer this, which I am. So I will. Yeah. <laughs> I like as we've discussed here, the idea of a potential conspiracy related to a secret society in Gotham City. I think it gives the Batman a very true detective season one kind of vibe, which is really cool. And it sets up Matt Reeves' trilogy for a a potential multi-film arc, which is great. But my question is, we already know that Riddler is going to be in this. We know they're going to introduce Penguin. We know Catwoman's going to play a role. And we know because Matt Reeves has said so that most of these theatrical villains are at kind of the beginning of their career as well, just like Batman. Does the possible inclusion of the Court of Owls just make this too oversaturated with villains? Does it overshadow and devalue the kind of core comic book characters we've come to know? Or do you think it sets this whole entire universe up for a multi piece puzzle that plays out over multiple films so this is a point that you made during our fandom pod matt reeves is a very cerebral filmmaker um so while a lot of villains has gone wrong in the past i have the trust in him to know how to balance that weight but more but that's more of on a micro sense in terms of this film macro sense in terms of the you know, three or four film franchise, does it become a lot where Batman's fighting the core and he's fighting the Joker and Penguin and Riddler? Uh, Yes, I do think that they run that risk. Too much of a good thing. You know, Batman has the best rogues gallery, but how do you choose who gets in? The key here is 
not so much do we think that uh, are we going to get a new Joker? Because I think that's guaranteed, unfortunately. Guaranteed. Over these three films, guaranteed he includes a new Joker. No, actually, better question. Do you think this Batman trilogy even needs a Joker? Well, that's the thing. So it's what I think it needs and what it's going to give us. Do I okay. think it, do I think it, uh, it, it needs it? No, especially if they're going down a route of, you know, the court who are a massive, massive group. You know, it's not just, ba- it's not just bang, boom, pow, fight one guy, they're gone. You know, it's, it, it's something that's going to take a few films for him to first A, find, find out who they are, B, find them, C, challenge them, and then D, tear them down. It's a long process. So if he's having to deal with the Joker, blowing people's fucking heads off the whole time too, that's a lot. You know, he's got the uh, Colin Farrell says that his penguin isn't in this one that much, which leads me to think that he will be in the following ones more. You got that going on. Um, So personally, and I know that they won't do this because as I've said to you, you know, Batman and Joker are yin and yang. I think that they are both equally responsible for their success. I think they're going to do it. I think they have to. I think, oh, I did put out a tweet at Postgred Pod. The thugs that Batman beats the ever-living hell out of have Joker-esque face paint. So I think it's coming, for sure. He's such a commercially successful villain. I mean, look, the Joker movie just made a billion dollars, and he's so interwoven into the fabric of both the Batman mythos and superhero source material in general, that it does seem like a bit of an inevitability that he does show up in some form or another in Matt Reeves' trilogy. Now, if they are going with the Court of Owls, which, again, these are just hints, we don't know, but it seems likely, or it seems possible at least, I don't really think they need a Joker because dismantling power and influence can't be done with fists, which is why it represents such a cool challenge to Batman and why, along with the other rogues gallery villains we know are going to pop up, could sustain a multi-picture arc. So I'm kind of hoping they don't. We've seen so many iterations and versions. Let's just let it rest. But beggars can't be choosers, I guess. Just to tie a bow on this uh, Batman thing, uh, some stories to read if you find yourself, you know, trying to find out more about what this film is going to be. Court of Owls is one, of course. Uh, Year one and year two, of course. Uh, The Long Halloween, which is a classic story. It seems like every big Batman film is based on that. Uh, And then one that sort of I I haven't seen much pop up is R.I.P., which sort of delves into like Batman's psychology and how truly dark it is. And this is definitely a psychologically bented film, which I like. Right. So those those would be my, you know, four or five to read. I think I'd add Hush to that list just to top it all off. See, like Hush would be someone I would love to see. That would be great for this world. Hush would be awesome for this world. So, so that's our kind of Batman thoughts. We've covered a lot of Batman in the last week or so. Go back and check out our Ben Affleck is returning to Batman pod. Go back and check out our DC fandom recap pod. We really kind of dive into the nitty gritty of Batman there. Moving on, but sticking with Warner Brothers, the longstanding rumor 
that George Miller, Mad Max Fury Road director, has a young Furiosa prequel film plan that's been populating the internet for a while now. Last year, when I first heard of it, I had heard from sources that he might be interested in Jodie Comer for the role. Now it seems like Anya Taylor-Joy might be the front runner. None of that is confirmed, of course. That's just kind of what's out there in the ether. But now, recently, this past week, comes a new rumor that they might be also looking at Chris Hemsworth for himself for a character described in the casting description as a man in his 30s or 40s who is, quote, breathtakingly handsome and possesses an angel's face scarred by a deep forehead wound stitched together with shiny chrome staples. That sounds very, let's put Chris Hemsworth in the dystopia to me, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Like, yeah, that man is offensively handsome and would be pretty badass in a kind of post-apocalyptic Mad Max-esque world. But, you know, even though Warner Brothers has long discussed their desire to continue rolling out new additions to premiere franchises like The Matrix, like Mad Max, do we like the idea of a Furiosa prequel? Did you want to see a sequel to Mad Max with Tom Hardy? What would your ideal kind of continuation have been? I love this. I think that the two, first of all, let's start with the two female stars who are linked. Both would be a home run. Big time. I would be on board with either one. Uh, For anyone who doesn't know, Jodie Comer stars as Villanelle in uh, Killing Eve. She's phenomenal. Anya Taylor-Joy, you've seen in The Witch. Anya Taylor-Joy, man. I love her. She's in New Mutants, which we're going to talk about next. So both two very talented actresses. Yep. I guess, I don't know if you can say Jodie Comer is up and coming when she's already she's won. She's 27 a, years old. She's super young. That's why I think she's she already be perfect won a, a Golden Globe. It's like, this isn't would, that, you, you, you arrived? This, this would make her an, uh, a dominating force. Uh, I mean, this would put her, I mean, she's up there. She's a known thing. But th- like, if she's doing it on the sm- small screen and like, dramas and then starring in fucking mad max dude like uh so i i just so i just don't want to you know uh skip past them because i think it's a great idea i think the casting is on point now i feel bad for our girl Charlize because she seemed bummed out by this she seemed like she did want to come back and she was phenomenal in mad max fury road which was not an easy shoot it had a lot of behind the scenes drama. There was a lot of tension and conflict on the set between Charlize and Hardy, between those two and George Miller. There was a lot of, you know, conflict. But at the end of the day, they made a great movie together that got a Best Picture nomination, made almost $400 million worldwide. I would have liked to have seen her come back and maybe not necessarily. Not, not just that, Brandon. It's thought of as one of the best films, period, of the last 20 years. It's pretty close to a perfect film. It's on top 10 lists everywhere. Um, So I was on board before this news. You add in Hemsworth just doing his electric thing that he does, which is be hilarious, but also kick ass at, at the same time. And as you said, just be aggressively handsome. This would be a home run. This would probably be better than the last one. You think it's going to be better than Mad Max Fury Road? You just said you don't shoot your shot that often. Hardy, to me, I think brings the movie down. Hemsworth would be a more sort of uh, classic movie star. I feel like it would have more balance almost. I mean, and that's not to say that 
the last one was not one of the best films I've ever seen, but Hemsworth in, in, in that sort of role, I think, I don't know. It, it, it really depends. Do you want an indie art house guy or do you want like a popcorn guy? Well, that leads me into my next question very well. And that is, do we think Chris Hemsworth is a movie star in his own right? Or is he the talented product of joining great brands? Go ahead. Because, I okay, for me personally, listen, I, I really like Chris Hemsworth. I think he's uh, talented. He's, he was good in Rush. He's good as Thor. He also has a great comedic side that's really kind of underutilized and underappreciated. But I do believe that he is not a movie star in the traditional old sense. He has struggled to open a film outside the safety net of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Extraction. Yeah, which it didn't go theatrical. And it is obviously going to, listen, any type of star-driven action and actioneer on Netflix is going to get huge. I think it was seen by 90 million people in the first four According weeks. According to Netflix, they count a view as any account that watches a movie or TV show for two minutes. I have thrown Netflix on and like gone to cook something and not watched a single right, second of it. Right. That just accidentally okay, fair enough. So All right, fair enough. He has struggled outside the safety of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think Tom Hardy is a much more dynamic actor and talented actor and much more chameleonic. That does not mean that I'm saying Chris Hemsworth is bad. I'm just saying as much as I would love to see him in this universe, I think I probably would have preferred uh, another run with the OG cast of Fury Road. It would never and, happen. Yeah, it's, it wasn't going to happen. And second of all, listen, he's awesome, but I don't necessarily think he'd be the reason people would go see this movie on its own. And I think we have enough evidence of him trying to get other franchises off the ground to support that. So my take is that Chris Hemsworth is a very talented and underappreciated guy in Hollywood, but not an old school movie star, which arguably don't even exist anymore. Um, I kind of want to walk back what I, I just said. I don't want to think it would, it, it'll be better. I just think that maybe that role of the male lead would be more fun. But has any of the Mad Max movies really been fun? They're all. I really haven't seen the first three, but I know that. The first three? No. I mean, I hate Mel Gibson with a passion. I'm going to tell you, these movies rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Okay, let me just break it down for you right quick. These are all like very kind of gritty, like carnival type action movies. And I don't mean that in terms of fun. I mean, like, this is fucking weird, but awesome. Yeah. And obviously, we see that in Fury Road. I mean, like, who's rolling around with like spray paint in their mouth, like chrome and shiny Valhalla? Like, you guys are off your rocker. And so they all have this vibe, increasingly so throughout the movies, of society deteriorating to a point of just pure madness. And what Fury Road is fueled on is kinetic madness. So I don't know if fun is the right tone for okay. the continuation of this franchise. Well, uh, uh, okay. But I do want to say that perhaps not in terms of, you know, nose in the air, how good is this film? In terms of selling it, like... This would be a, if they got him in this role, it would be a gigantic hit. It would definitely make more than uh, the, the last one did. I agree with that, but it's because you're pairing him with a great brand, not necessarily because it's a Chris Hemsworth action movie. But I yeah. do agree it would probably be slightly more commercially successful. For sure. Because the other one, I mean, guys, this was, this was definitely a, a movie that made money, but this is, was like a $175 million budget somewhere around there. 
that just kind of barely eked out a profit. We would have liked seen a little bit more, especially in international sales. But yeah, I mean, you put four in it right now. Chris Hemsworth is hot right now. Yes. Damn, Chris Hemsworth is hot right now. Yeah. So I mean, to me, and now at, at this point, it's so obvious that I can't not see it now. Like I, I think it's a lock at this point. Who doesn't Who do you want that? Seen him paired up with Jody Comer or Anya Taylor Joy? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Jody Comer is older, right? So maybe I would lean that way. Uh, but beyond that, in terms of like on-screen talent, I'm not really sure. I'm going with Jody Comer just because I mean she is so good as Billy yeah. Mel, and she has to do so much in terms of accents, in terms of uh, emotional displays, in terms of range of emotion. She is so good in that show. I I'm going with her. Now, I want to talk about for a second to just kind of cap this off. Mad Max has been around for decades and has kind of become this little franchise that could. Is there any other series or concept or young title or show or movie that you think can kind of become the next Mad Max? This kind of longer running franchise with like a really distinct vibe and tone and creation. They tried this one once, right? All right, I'm going to give you a hint. It, it had an Old West vibe, but also a sci-fi vibe. And it came Westworld? out. Huh? Westworld? No, no, it's a film. And it oh. came out. And it came out uh, maybe three years ago, starred two gigantic stars, one white, one black. I have no idea. Based on a book. I got nothing. Yeah, the okay. Gunslinger, man. It's a dope property. Uh, but they just so royally fucked the first time that they're, I mean, they definitely won't try it again for 10 years, maybe. Who knows? But... It, have you it, read the books? I've read the first one, and it it's the books are definitely too dense for a film, but there are parts of it that you could pluck out and turn into a sort of, you know, Mad Max crossed with like Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of that stuff that I liked, but um, at this point, I think that that's dead. So, so for anyone who doesn't know, the Dark Tower is a seven book series by Stephen King that he considered his his magnum opus, his masterpiece. Now, a few years ago, obviously, movie came out with Idris Elba and Matthew McConaughey, great casting, but the movie was just absolute shit. And then <laughs> afterward, Amazon actually developed a pilot for it. This was going to be another big budget series. It's going to be disconnected from the continuity of the movie. And that didn't get picked up because it was absolute shit. And I wrote a piece about how the movie was probably, and the series was probably going to be absolute shit and shouldn't be picked up. And the showrunner, Glenn uh, Mazzara, who I, I can't pronounce correctly, but he, he did a little bit of The Walking Dead, actually sniped me on Twitter. He was not happy with it about what I wrote. But then the show didn't end up get pick, getting picked up. So I was kind of right, even though wow, I did. Wow, dunk bad. on him, Brandon. Dunk on him. I did. I, so I felt bad because I was a little, a little harsh, but that was the case. So, that is just a phenomenal series that has so much potential and was just so utterly wasted. And the fact that it's now gone through a failed film adaptation and a potential failed uh, TV attempt means we may not get it, if not 10 years ever again, which is yeah. just the most depressing thing ever. Well, ever. not ever, because these guys, they, they need these books, you know. It's an, I, I read the Game of Thrones series and the Dark Tower series back to back in high school. <laughs> So it was the, yeah, it was the most amazing 
like couple, you know, reading materials a kid could ever get. It was phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. So my answer for this is I'm going back to another book. This is a book, Lucifer's Hammer. It's from the 1970s. It is essentially about a comet that hits Earth and is basically brings about the apocalypse. And it is about the survivors and how they try to rebuild society, the different ideals and religions that, that spring up and kind of what they're fighting for. Because obviously there's going to be factions of good guys, factions of bad guys. And it's just such a layered, complex story that paints such a brilliant picture of before the apocalypse, during the apocalypse, and kind of post-apocalypse. Oh, that's sick. And it's such a good story that nobody's ever done it. So I actually tried to inquire about getting the rights to it myself so I could write it. And they're like, no, we're in conversation. Sorry, you're just some punk nobody. Shut the fuck up. Who owns said rights? So I had, I don't know. That's the thing. I Every month, probably, I do research on this. I had reached out to the authors, because it's two authors, two authors' uh, representatives. And I was kind of back-channeling with them. And they were, this was like 2016, 2015. They said they were in conversations <laughs> with someone to acquire it. That was clearly bullshit, because nothing's happened with the property. But everyone should go read that book, because it's amazing. Okay, great shout. Eric, you got homework to do, man. Yeah, dude, let's write it. The two All of right. us. I, I'm down. I'm, I tried to get the rights once. I'll try again, for sure. If it, it makes it big, we'll probably quit the post-credit pod to enjoy our new cocaine Hollywood lifestyle. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> Sorry, all good. Friend. But moving on to something that's a little bit more pressing instead of books from the 70s is the New Mutants, which somehow, and like you said, allegedly arrives allegedly. this weekend after two years, five release date delays, and an industry-changing studio acquisition, the New Mutants is here. Eric. Does that absolutely batshit crazy behind-the-scenes journey make you more curious about the final product or no effect at all? More. I think it's obviously more, right? Because yeah. it's sort of... Human beings, yeah. It's sort of a film lost in time, you know? It was shot when? In 2016? 2015, 2017 was supposed to initially come out April. <laughs> that's that's outrageous. Commercials for it. When I uh, watch Venom... I have this feeling that it feels like it was filmed in the year 2007. You know, it just, it just seems so dated despite the fact that it came out in like modern times. This is like that, but actually real. It's a film time capsule. Uh, like the kids in it now are all grown up. <laughs> they, so they wanted to do uh, reshoots. At one point, Fox wanted to reshoot as much as 50% of the movie. And because of the acquisition with Disney, that all got pushed. And by the time that they were considering actually doing real reshoots, the actors had aged out. Josh yeah. Boone, the director, was like, we can't do them anymore. They don't even look the same. Um, the, the, the chick from Thrones has since done a nude scene. Like, they are full-grown adults now. So, yes, I'm curious as hell. I had this random thought this week. Like, could you imagine if it turns out to be the best comic book film of all time? I mean, that would just be icing on the cake. So I, I had talked to a friend. The reason I asked this question is because I talked to them. I'm like, aren't you curious after all this, like, not hype. Hype is not the wrong. Scrutiny is probably the best word. Bad luck. Bad yeah, luck. Horrible luck. It's a cursed and, movie. And my friend was like, no, I think the movie looks bad. I didn't care then. And I don't care now. I'm like, but like, isn't that part of the curiosity? I'm like, this movie has had to claw 
attention nails. Yeah. Cute screen. I want to see if it's horrible, if it's just okay. Is it surprisingly good? Like everything about it, I'm I need curious. it to be good. I need it to be super good. That would kill no. me. It, in this cursed year, that cursed film turning out to be great would only make sense. I think if that's the case and the New Mutants comes out and everyone goes, hey, that was a solid fucking movie, then I'm going to put any amount of money. We have a vaccine for COVID-19 within a month. Because <laughs> that is the only type of unbelievable, amazing achievement that could follow that unbelievable, amazing yep. achievement. Yep. I'm a little... I don't want to say melancholy because that's, that's a little, infers a little too much caring, but this is the last entry in the 20 year X-Men series. What are your thoughts on the franchise, its legacy, saying goodbye to a completely batshit crazy messed up continuity, but one that has nonetheless lasted for two decades? Yeah. I mean, hmm. I sort of said bye, bye to it with Logan uh, so it's been a few years now that I've moved oh, man. on. You're like living on cloud nine, having not really experienced Dark Phoenix and now this. Uh, I'll say this about Dark, dark uh, Phoenix. That train scene is pretty good. <laughs> but that's about all I've got. Um, do I care? No. Like, do you think it's going to be tied into those old films? No, not really, probably, right? No, not really, because this was supposed to be the start of its own trilogy. <laughs> Still in that universe. Yeah, that's, that's a punchline in and of itself. But I, <laughs> one, it's cool that The New Mutants is the first kind of quote-unquote horror movie yes. of the X-Men universe. Fox had success expanding the scope of the superhero genre with the neo-Western Logan, with the R-rated raunchy comedy that is Deadpool. Now they were trying a, a new kind of genre retrofit with this being a, a horror film, which is very interesting. So I, I kind of wanted to succeed, but overall speaking, I mean, the X-Men series, 13 films, more than 6 billion at the box office. I wrote about this on Observer for X-Men's 20th anniversary, which was uh, last month, but the original X-Men helped legitimize and validate the superhero genre as a consistent bankable lane in Hollywood at a time when it was mostly still kind of a punchline in the eyes of studio executives. So I am a little nostalgically wistful that this is goodbye. Yeah, I mean, and I get that feeling for sure. Like I, I didn't really think of that until you brought it up, but I could see why you feel that way. I mean, that they've been around our entire lives, you know, so. Do you think New Mutants will be terrible do you think it will be okay do you think it will be good based on the trailers, i have oh well based on the trailers no i i don't think it, it, it it's gonna be good but i don't know i truly cannot tell i think that i may just enjoy it just because of its sheer absurdity it's just you know like the fact that it even exists for persistence yeah. i mean i've i've had a long joke that i don't even think it exists you know, like it, it's it just up. trailers. They don't have enough footage other than <laughs> it's an experiment. Trailers. It's an experiment. It's a social experiment. I honestly think, based on the trailers, that it could be okay. Like, yeah, it could be like, sweet. Now, but that said, I, I, do I think it looks good enough to go out and see it, even no. in a non-COVID world? Probably not. Uh, well, in a non-COVID world, you and I, the privileged assholes that we are, would have gotten screening and invitations from the studio. Right, but I'm, I'm. I'm surprised that they didn't go the route that they're going with Mulan and just put it on 
online for they can't because of pre-existing contractual obligations not only does it have to get released in theaters but because fox had an existing output deal with hbo it'll go there before it goes to disney plus which is just a double whammy f you to everything yeah but if they had like that is something that i would have paid for for sure so do I think it's going to do well? Uh, I, that's kind of your space, Brandon. So, I think it might pleasantly surprise. We'll see. But as a kind of goodbye to the X-Men franchise with, with the new mutants, what would you like to see from the MCU's reboot or reintroduction or whatever term you want to use for the X-Men, which is going to happen eventually? So as we talked about with Batman Rogues, new, new characters – Focus on new people. Give us a good gambit, please. For the love of God, it's not that hard. Uh, um, if you're not a Taylor Kitsch stand, God, bro. Oh God. oh, God. And that's just like the one that I could think of off, off the top of my head. But uh, And then there's, of course, you know, I want to see them with the MCU as tied in as possible. Um, how the MCU is going to explain that They've been around for 15 years, and oh, here's mutants. <laughs> you know, like how I, I don't know how they're gonna swing that one. Maybe they do a multiverse type thing. Who knows? But uh, so those would. How be are two- mutants gonna be persecuted in an era where superheroes are like the best things ever? It's fascinating. So what's yeah, different? You know, I'm curious to see how they bring all that in and how much they're a part of the main storyline. And uh, yeah. I agree. They got to go with some new characters, especially to start. Maybe you can do references to like, hey, there's a guy. Shia LaBeouf, baby. Iceman. There you go. But Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf. Hashtag Shia LaBeouf. The post-credit pod, at post-credit pod on Twitter, is starting this whole campaign about basically the reconnaissance, but for Shia LaBeouf, which started with Honey Boy and a lot of the other stuff he's done recently. So we want to see him, you know, kicking butt. But what I want to see, if they do go with existing characters, Give us a good Storm. Like, Storm has just gotten shafted in every film for two decades, and enough is enough. This is one of the most badass, powerful, intricate, complex, emotionally moving characters in the X-Men comics. Let's get it right one time. Let's give her more to do than say two things and throw some lightning in a movie. Yeah, she's especially bad in these, like, new ones to the extent that you don't even really realize it's her, you know? Like, she's a ghost. Yeah. They just ignore her. So I want to see that. And, you know, for my own personal preferences, I want to make sure they don't change Magneto's Jewish backstories. I would like to see that kept intact. No chance. No chance they will, right? Oh, well, there were there were rumors he may be black, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that is... Which would be dope. I kind of like that. It's a way to go. But at the end, if they still keep him Jewish, I, I'd be happy. That That's the main thing. I don't care if he's white, black, whatever. But as long as he's Jewish, <laughs> got to keep that. But listen, the New Mutants, that is like a minor league blockbuster. If we're talking about major league blockbusters, if we're talking about what they really want cinemas to be all about, we're talking about Christopher Nolan's Tenet. Because that is the movie of 2020, whether or not it's good or bad. Christopher Nolan and Warner Brothers with their crusade to have this movie save cinema have made it the movie of 2021, 2020. It arrives in US theaters on September 4th, where theaters are even open. We live in in the tri-state area where theaters aren't going to be open. How do you feel in general about Nolan and WB leading the charge to quote unquote save cinema in the middle of a pandemic? What's your entire take on that? So I think they've sort of 
put themselves in a hole in the sense of like, you want to set the bar low, right? Uh, so the way that they've built this up, how it's going to, you know, save film and save going to uh, the uh, theaters just makes me feel like I'm going to be inherently let down by it if and when I do see it. Because while I miss going to theaters, I don't have this like obsession with it. I miss movies. I don't so much miss going to the theater. I mean, it was something I would do by, by myself once or twice a month. Loved it. But I don't have this inherent desire. I got to get back to the movie theaters. Um, so I think it's odd, uh, especially the way that they did it, how they've pushed it back two, three, four times. It costs them money every time they do it. Yeah, like think about uh, Wonder Woman. They just, they moved it to like August 28th and then they saw that that was not going to happen. And then they pushed it back to like October, what, 1st or something? Second, I think. Yeah, so that'll probably come out no problem. Instead, Tenet was in the news every two weeks as sort of this punchline of like, oh, we almost had him this time. <laughs> check back in two weeks, you know, check back in two weeks. Um, now, how do I think it works in terms of, business i don't know uh it's literally the 200 million dollar question if it were out by me would i go see it i guess that that's what it comes down to and i think i would um we are in a part of our state sorry is not that bad these days uh my county only had like 10 new cases this past day um and that's the entire county so if i'm masked up and it's all clean Tenant would be big enough for me to go see. That said, I'm a film nerd. If they're banking on everyone out there feeling that way, I think they've got a, a, um, a rough few weeks coming. Uh, yeah, so overall, I, I think it's positive as a huge, huge fan of going to the theater that Warner Brothers wants to support their filmmaker and that that filmmaker wants to support the theatrical movie-going experience. I think that in a vacuum is great. But I think how they've gone about it, given the context of a pandemic situation, has been arguably reckless and irresponsible in, in spots. That's just my honest opinion. Now, I think every uh, American should have the choice whether or not they want to go to a movies. I think masks absolutely have to be mandated. But I don't necessarily think pushing to release this theater while numbers were spiking, like in the middle of summer, I don't think that was a, a moral thing to do. So there are positives and negatives to what WB and Nolan are doing in my opinion. Now that it's calmed down a little bit, I think I'd probably be willing to go when New York theaters open up, which will be after the rest of the country, which makes it even safer in my opinion, but I'm still not a hundred percent sold on the whole idea. I want to see Tenet. This is my number one most anticipated of uh, film of 2020. I love Christopher Nolan's films and I want, every single theater to stay in business forever. That's, I love the movie theater, but man, it's just hard for me to champion a studio that is spending millions of dollars to rush people to a kind of public meeting place in the middle of- Indoors. Yeah, indoors, the indoors. first pandemic in a century. It's just, it's hard for me to wrap my head around that whole idea. Yeah. Does that make sense? I think that's a fair point. Now, in terms of our hype levels, I think we're both hyped for it. Christopher Nolan, we're film nerds. We kind of made that whole uh, argument that, hey, this is what we do, literally. Yeah. But what are your hype levels 
to Tenet compared to previous Christopher Nolan blockbusters. And as a guy whose 10 film career averages an 86% on Rotten Tomatoes, right now Tenet is at 82%, have the positive but a little mixed reviews dulled your anticipation at all? So this sort of ties into what I just said about you want to set the bar low, right? Uh, they've pushed this both in, you know, the, the stuff that we've seen in like trailers and the quotes from cast that it is supposed to blow your mind. Uh, so for me, 81 is low. And while I haven't read an in-depth piece yet, cause I, I want to go in as blind as I can. And I feel like for the first time in a long time, you could truly go into a film blind. Uh, you don't have to run the risk of it being spoiled online because it really can't be. Yeah. Uh, so I like that that part of it, um, but yeah, it has sort of cooled my hype to hear that it's, you know, um, a solid film, uh, but it's not his best. It it doesn't sound like it's going to change the way that films are made, um, or or will blow my mind to the extent that I will think about it for days on end, which is to me the mark of a great film. If I'm thinking about it for two three days fantastic this doesn't seem to have that sort sort of grasp from you know the general vibe that i've seen uh while i do want to reserve my final thoughts until i see it because this man is a genius and to doubt him is a is just a bad choice a bad life choice so yeah that that said uh it comes out what the fourth um, yeah. So that's, not, probably not in New York and LA. So that's next week. Uh, yeah, if it's out by by me in Jersey, I'll I'll go. My hype levels are relatively unaffected by the reviews. Of course, I want people saying, "Hey, this is this is stellar and everything," but that's I'm going to make up my own opinion. You know, fuck what anyone else thinks. At the end of the day, uh, on Observer, actually, this week we launched a new ongoing series leading into Tenet's review called Nolan Time, which is exploring how the director utilizes and interacts with time in all of his films, which is kind of a running motif across his whole resume. I got a bunch of pieces on that, as do a great uh, amount of freelancers. Everyone should go check that out. But it's so interesting to me that he uses time as such a a kind of key component of his films. And obviously, this one deals with the inversion of time, which like, okay, cool, bro. <laughs> um, my question is like, because of the muted response relative to his previous films and because this movie may not make enough money to turn a profit given its huge budget and given what's going on in the world, I'm curious if he goes to a little bit of a one for me, one for them system moving forward. You know, Dunkirk, which I, which I actually really, really like, I acknowledge that it has flaws, but I really like it. That was his attempt at, for lack of a better term, making a mature film. You know, there's, it's no coincidence that that scored him his best, his first best director nomination at the Oscars. Which is a crime. I mean, that, that's just a crime. Yeah, he's been deserving long before yeah. that. But because this is a World War II movie, it's considered mature and real cinema as opposed to a sci-fi original blockbuster, which doesn't, unfairly so, hold the same sort of sway in kind of the pop culture conversation among gatekeepers. So that's disappointing. So I'm wondering if Tenet isn't all that in a bag of chips, to quote Dr. Evil, if he kind of goes back, well, like, now I want to make a serious movie because they didn't love my, my time movie. 
And I hope we don't fall into that system. Although Nolan doesn't seem like a guy who might be that responsive to the public outcry. Yeah. We are excited for a tenant. What are you most looking forward to or least looking forward to if you want to go that route in terms of this movie? Uh, I would say the most is kind of, you know, I would bet that you'll have the same one. Just the plot. <laughs> I'm curious about what the hell is going on. We literally don't know what Tenet is about, and it releases next week. Yeah, so, I mean, I couldn't even tell you. The quotes that I've heard are just bananas. Ca- castmates saying that Christopher Nolan had to, like, remain calm while trying to explain to them over and over again what the hell is going on. So not even uh, the people in the movie know what it's about. That's kind of what I'm guessing. Robert Pattinson said, like, look, I could try and lie and say that I know about what the film is, but I don't have a fucking clue. None of them seem to know, except except for Nolan. Uh, so that Robert be- Pattinson, by the way, just seems like a sophisticated hippie bro that I want to hang out with and just hear his intellectual takes on whatever. Yeah, he just, and he has this sort of, like, like, how did, how did I, I mean, yes, he's handsome and talented, but he just has this sort of, like, aloof, Very bumbling, hair kind of, you know. Like, how did I get here? Like, you know what I mean? Uh, and then, so he ties into what I'm most hyped to see, because most of my friends that I talk to still see him as, you know, the Twilight guy. Uh, Your friends, I'm just putting that out there. My, my non-film friends. No, nope, still hate him. Um, so. I hate these fools. I try. I, I, I do. So this is going to go a long way to that. Um, it's his first sort of big popcorn film since then, right? Uh, it's been about a decade since he's been in this kind of lane. And him in the trailers, it does. It's kind of like off-putting. You know what I mean? It's like, holy shit, he's back in trailers these days? Because like, his films are like the types that like you hear about online or you read about. You don't see them on like billboards and stuff. Uh, but now he's back. And I, of course, think he's great. So I'm hyped for more fans to realize how good he is. Different side of the same coin. I'm super hyped for John David Washington's arrival as a blockbuster star. Uh, For those that don't know, he's actually Denzel Washington's son, but a very, very talented actor in his own right. Do you think so? Yeah, I do. I think he was really great as the eccentric Ricky Jared on Ballers. I think he brought a very great quiet, calm to Black Klansmen. Every time I see this guy, I, I'm very impressed in his own right. And this guy's had a very interesting life as Denzel's son, as someone who had a cup of coffee in the NFL, as yep. someone who's now becoming a Hollywood blockbuster star. So I, I think it's going to be really cool for people to firmly stamp John David Washington as his own actor, his own talented Hollywood yep. figure, and not just Denzel's son. Yeah, I mean, I think he's great, and this is going to go a long way for him. I just am not entirely sold yet. Not that I don't enjoy him and his work, but I'm just not quite there yet with him being an A-list guy. Not quite. No, no. Because the films he's done, which is no disrespect to him, this is how a career is built. He's not an A-list guy yet. Well, but but this this is his first blockbuster and it's starring in a Nolan joint. I mean, that's serious business, dude. Yeah, that's a big come up, which is really cool. Yeah. So just kind of add, to steal your term, to put a bow on this tenant conversation and Christopher Nolan in general, 
what's your favorite non-Batman Nolan movie? And I know I had to specify that because, you know, of course. you're going to get a, a Batman tattoo on your chest, Tupac style. I, I, I got the one on the arm, kid. The t- right, well, there you go. I was the close. The tiny little bat symbol, you know that. Boom, I was close. Um, I, I want you to go first here. So my favorite Nolan movie that isn't a Batman movie, and actually this is my favorite Nolan movie overall, is the prestige which hey let's go let's go that was mine too let's go every magic trick consists of three parts or acts the first part is called the pledge the magician shows you something ordinary the second act is called the turn the magician takes the ordinary something and makes it into something extraordinary. But you wouldn't clap yet, because making something disappear isn't enough. You have to bring it back. And the beautiful thing about that is it's pre-Dark Knight. So even though he's made a blockbuster in Batman Begins and some films that had some sturdy budgets, this is kind of before he became the author of blockbuster mainstream cinema, when yep, he was still yep. kind of had a foot in both worlds of both indie cinema and mainstream commercialism. And I think the prestige, did you know that there are 140 time cuts in that movie and yet you can still follow it as an actual plot? No, what do you mean? Like jumps and like- time jumps. Yes, time jumps, where, where we shift to a different time period. Week, month, year, okay, got it. Unbelievable. That 140? Yeah, it might be 143. I can't remember the exact number. <laughs> I think it's a beautiful film about obsession and the cost of compulsion. I think it's wonderfully acted. I think it's a thinker, like all of his movies, but in a kind of pared down way that isn't quite up its own asshole, like some other of his other films. And I just love it. And if I had to do a 1B, it's Interstellar, a movie that I love more and more every time I watch it. I think you made a great point in the sense that I think one of his bigger blind spots is that his characters can sort of be 2D. You know, the star of his films are are the plot and the twist. Yep. The prestige has all of that, but then the two leads are emotionally, uh, utterly compelling, Uh, both in how they have dueling ways of seeing the world and their job, um, how far... They're both down to go to get what they Spoiler, want. Spoiler, real fucking far. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Um, and how it's also like a story about family as well, you know, with the daughters and the brothers and them as best friends. So I think it, it is Nolan at his best in terms of plotting and twists, you know, I mean, it's about magic. That is the most twisty <laughs> sort of, ooh, magic, you know? Like, it, it it doesn't get more twisty than that. And, whoa, mind blown than that. But then it also is very grounded in the characters feel real to you and you understand their choices and their struggles. And, in fact, I think I'm going to re-watch this tonight because I'm just gassed up about it now. I fully support that. And if you want to do a mini pod episode just on the prestige, I would love to do that. Well, once these films are out, once uh, this film, not not films, comes out, we should do a like Nolan pod. I'm 100% down. Yeah, yeah, and if yeah. anybody needed any further convincing to watch the prestige, 
David Bowie stars as Nikola Tesla, which is just yeah. awesome. Yep. Yep. Just awesome Great around. shout out. Great shout out. Jackman, man. He, what can't that guy do? He is just the coolest human being ever. Incredible. All right. Well, folks, that has been our kind of blockbuster pod with a lot of upcoming and future major films that are set to hit. Tune into our next episode where you are doing a round robin fantasy football style draft of superhero movies. My team is obviously going to be better than Eric's because that's just how I roll. We want to uh, do top fives, like uh, yeah, team five. five. Now, now, do we want to flip a coin for first pick right now? Ooh, give give these listeners a special little treat. Now, I wanted to just kind of like flex on you and be like, I get first pick, but. <laughs> <laughs> because, because, because I know that you know what I'm gonna take. So, like, I can't lose that pick. All right, now Listen, I, I will give you first pick. That's how confident. No, I am. no, 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 no. That's 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 no uh, fun. I've I've got to build my team based on on where I'm put to draft. All right, so I'm gonna pull up an online coin tosser. Now you're just gonna need to take my word for it. Um, I trust everybody. Don't worry. Just to try and get an app on my phone would take too long. Uh, all right. All right. Do you want heads or tails? Tails never fails. Come on. All right. Tails. He took tails. Heads. Bang. I'll take a screenshot if you need it. I swear. Yeah, I believe you. Tails did fail. What the hell? It's online. It's not the same as, you know, the old fashioned version because, uh, you know, fucking computers, man. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that should be the log line for Christopher Nolan's next film. Yeah. Computers, man. Yeah. <laughs> Before we go, if you guys want any more in-depth analysis or just great freaking memes, because we are very good at that, follow at PostCredPod, at Eric underscore Itel, at Great underscore Catsby. We bring the goods every time. Yes, sir. All right, y'all. I'm going to make him an offer, guys. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius.